Hawaii Church. So sorry. Hey, I'm excited to speak to you. I'd love it if you'd be excited to listen. Yeah? Excited to be here? Good. Amen. Let's start off. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Father, for your faithfulness. Lord, it's no secret that you've been faithful through every generation. And Lord, it's no secret, Lord, that you will be faithful to the end. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness and your love in our lives. And Lord, we are privileged to have the opportunity to come together like this today. Lord, we don't take that for granted. Lord, as we glean from your word and as we look into your word, into the truths that you have for us, Holy Spirit, we pray that our hearts be open, Lord, that our minds be sharp, Lord, that we would take every thought captive that would distract us, Lord, and we would focus on your word and what you are wanting to say. Father, we give you praise. We glorify your name because you alone are worthy. And in Jesus' name, we all agreed. Amen. Amen. So today, oh, well, this whole week, I've been excited to speak. I've just been, I've had so many conversations this week around that I've, I've taken and many parts of the conversations that I've been having, I've been thinking a lot about God's sovereignty. God is sovereign, amen? He's sovereign. And the fact that God is sovereign, not only in our lives, He's sovereign over this universe. He's sovereign over everything that you've seen happen. There is nothing that has happened from the beginning of time and nothing that will happen today or throughout the rest of eternity that will ever take God by surprise. He's absolutely unsurprised by what happens. He knows. He's sovereign. And it got me thinking, and that's why I've titled the message that this, the game's rigged. Because I'll tell you now, if you haven't already been told, we win. If you haven't already considered, not only we win, but we've won. It's already done. It's settled. The, the debate is no longer up for discussion. It's no longer something that you have to argue. It's no longer something that you have to battle with to overcome. It's done. It's already been won. In essence, the game's rigged from here on out. I remember being a kid, and um, as I was a kid, I, was, I wasn't too good at video games. I was... In, when I remember we had a Nintendo 64 and GoldenEye was the game that everyone was playing at the time. There was like one guy that was like in my, knows what I'm talking about. Anyway, it was a, like you could split the screen and play four players and everyone would have a controller and you'd sort of go after each other. I'd only last about 10 or 15 minutes because I would get tired of just losing all the time. So I'd go outside and ride my bike or something like that. And I remember when my brothers or my cousins, when they would play sort of the story mode of the game where they had to actually verse the computer, they would play and a lot of the time this would come out of their mouths while they were playing. They'd be, game's rigged! They don't want me to win! This game's cheating! They're cheating! They're cheating! They don't want me to win! Thankfully the TVs in those days were a little bit more robust than today because plenty of controllers got bashed on the front screen. Like today's TVs, you blink at them wrong and they break. But back then, you could do something. You could actually hit the TV and it'd be fine. It didn't matter. 
But they would say that all the time, oh, this is rigged, you know? It's a bit like watching a state of origin and you just, anytime New South Wales lose, that's all you hear. <laughs> this game's rigged. You send me after service. I'm going to argue about that. But that's, that's, that's really, that's, it, sometimes it feels that way. And we as believers and Christians and those who believe in the finished work of Christ on the cross need to know that even though life struggles come, the game's rigged, we've won. It's already done. It's already done. And so I want to take us to our anchor scripture. Oh, sorry, I wanted to talk about the definition first of if God is sovereign, what does sovereign mean? And the noun of sovereign means is a supreme ruler. Who agrees that God is our supreme ruler? Our supreme ruler. You can't argue that. He is supreme in his rulership over us. And as an adjective, it's that whenever you call someone sovereign, it's because they possess supreme or ultimate power. Everything, all authority, kingdom and dominion, belongs to our King Jesus. It's not up for debate. It's done. Amen? So as we go to our anchor scripture this morning, I'm going to read from Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. And it reads, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's plans that prevail. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't. Does it say... Many other plans had, but it's the Lord's prerogative, maybe, that prevails. No, it's not his plans that prevail, it's not his prerogative. Is it his program that prevails? No, 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 no. The, the scriptures don't say any of those things. The scripture says, many other plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Purpose. The Lord's purpose is what prevails. You know, as I was reading this scripture and I was thinking about God's sovereignty and I was linking it to this and I was just thinking, man, I know a lot of people that love to plan. Who here likes to plan? We like making plans. We, we love to, to make plans, don't we? We need to be organized. If we're going to have fun, we need to organize our fun. Make sure it happens to the minute to the T. Make sure if we're going to have fun, we're going to have fun within these three minutes, within these next two minutes we have a break, silence, and then another ten minutes of fun. We like to plan everything. And this next slide, it's, it's not for you. The next slide is not for you, it's for the person sitting next to you, okay? The next slide is not for you, I want to remind you, it's not for you, it's for the person sitting next to you. Because the reason I, f I found, I really realized in my heart, it's like, the reason you love to plan is because you are a control freak. <laughs> Tell your neighbor. Remember, it's not you, it's your neighbor. Tell the person next to you, you're a control freak. You're a control freak. You really are. You love to plan. Oh, man, you love to plan. Anytime that you are not in control, you absolutely hate it. You absolutely hate the fact that at moments in your life you are not in control. Jesus cannot take the wheel from you. <laughs> I 
I can hear your version of that song, Jesus Take the Wheel. I can hear it. Said, Jesus, don't you touch this wheel. I know, just relax. Take a moment. I know we're gonna we're gonna have a break. We're gonna have a break. We'll have lunch soon, Jesus. Twenty-three minutes, we'll have lunch. Three minutes we'll say grace. For five minutes we'll talk about a topic that I've already chosen. For the next ten minutes, we'll eat in silence. And for the last five minutes, we'll have a free topic of conversation that I've already chosen, Jesus. I'm in control. It's okay, Jesus. You're a control freak. <laughs> you love to plan. And it's just, it's not, it's not something that's unique to an individual. It's something that is a flaw of our humanity. Because we think our plans are good. We think our plans are all right. We think we're pretty smart. We think we're pretty good at making plans. But the verse says, Many other plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. You know, it's not until we've lost or we feel like we've lost control. Then you'll see, yeah? Then you'll see someone singing the song the way it's supposed to be. Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hands. After we feel like we've lost control. After we feel like we can't control the situation anymore, it's like, oh, no, Lord, now I, now I need you. To ever think, <laughs> to ever think that we have control over our lives, that's a mistake. God is sovereign. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what your life is purpose for. Amen? Amen. You see, the thing is, plans, they change, but purposes, they don't. Plans change. Your plans and the way that you wanted to live your life out, they will change. But your purpose doesn't. The reason that you are here and the reason that you're breathing, that does not change. That hasn't changed from the moment you were born. He set you, created you on purpose, for a purpose, for this season, so that you would fulfill the purpose that He created you for, that He created us for as a body. Amen? You know, as I was thinking about plans, because some of us still think that we're good at planning. Okay, well, I want you to think back five years ago. Think back to 2016. Think about where you were. Think about what you were doing. Think about who you were, 2016, five years ago. Did you see yourself here today, back then? Okay, I'll bring it closer. Maybe 20, 2016 is a bit far away. What about last year, 2020? The plans that you had for 2020. The things that you had endeavored to take care of in 2020. How'd those plans work out? You know what? And it's funny that none of those things have worked out. But the weird thing is, some of you have plans for the next two years. Some of us have plans for the next five years. And I'm not saying that plans are bad. I'm saying, are you focusing on plans when you should be focusing on purpose? Because God's sovereignty takes care of plans. 
He wants to know whether you're willing to partner with Him in the purpose that He has for your life. Plans over purpose. In looking at the Scripture again, it uses the word prevail to talk about our purpose and our plans. And the word prevail in, in an accent is to prove more powerful or superior. Synonyms for the word prevail are to win or to triumph, to be victorious over, to come out ahead. So he actually says, the writer writes, that his purposes will be victorious, or his purposes will be victorious, it will win out, they'll come out ahead. His purposes will triumph over your plans. You know, there's some people in the scriptures that had great plans for their nation. People like uh, the Pharaoh that we see came up against Moses and the nation of Israel. He had some plans for the nation, plans to build the wealth and the reach of Egypt. But those plans were trumped by the purposes that God had for his people. You see, plans of the plans that we have, they can be so good for our own lives, but when they miss out on the purpose that God has for us as a whole, we miss out on what God truly wants to do in our lives, and we just end up focusing on plans. Is this making sense to anyone? Yep. Here's a difference. I just wanted to bring a bit of a difference between our plans and the purposes. Plans have to deal with direction. Plans deal with direction. But purpose deals with your destination. You don't go to Google Maps looking for where you want to go and ask for the directions without knowing the destination first. You only know how to get there by first knowing the destination. We're secure in our place in heaven. We're secure in Christ. And it's not like we have to go somewhere for that destination to be reached. We're already arrived. It's about outworking that finished salvation work in our lives. Plans have to do with steps. And purpose deals with results. The end result. Plans deal with how you get there. How things are done. But purpose actually delves into why you should do it. Why I should be here. Why I should go there. And to just shed some light on why our plans are so insignificant, I'll take you to a very well-known verse in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, where God talks about his plans for his people. It says, For I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You know, if you take some time this afternoon, go back and just read chapter 29. Get some context to what's happening here. Because I'll, I'll just give it to you just quickly now, but take some time to read it. If you go back to this chapter... He's actually talking to a people who have been exiled. Exiled into a hostile territory. 
And those people, they don't know what to do in that land and they're wanting to come back. They really want to come back to the, to the, to the land that God has given the Israelites in Jeremiah. And what God says to them is like, no, stay where you are. I know you have plans to come back and there's plenty of plans that you might have for, your, for, for what you have for your life and the things that you want to take care of. But stay where you are. Stay in exile, he says. And then he says, for I know the plans that I have for you. Doesn't that shed a different light on it? He says, in the midst of your exile, I know the plans that I have for you. In the midst of your exclusion, I know the plans that I have for you. Seek my purpose, though. You can take care of things with my purpose for your life. You see, he's got some pretty good plans, even in the midst of exile. So we've established God is sovereign, right? He's absolutely sovereign. Nothing sovereign overall. And so that begs the question, though. If God is sovereign, then why did I have to go through and I'll let you fill in the blank? Why did I have to go through this with my family? If God is sovereign, why did I have to go through that as a child? If God is sovereign and He knows everything that's happening, then why did I have to go through that when I was in school or that when I was in uni? Why did I have to go through that with my family? Why did my family have to go through this if God is so sovereign? That's a hard question to ask sometimes. can really, really be a hard question to ask. And sometimes we get stuck on that question. And that question just brews in our hearts and in our minds. And if we allow it to, it causes us to walk down a, a path of despair. You see, sometimes plans bring us to our ruin because plans, inevitably, they create expectations. And if we have expectations on the things that we're supposed to be and do in our lives, and you have those expectations you have the ability to be disappointed. And if you become disappointed, if you allow yourself to stay disappointed for long enough, you seep deep down into despair. But Lord, if you're so sovereign, why did I have to go through that? Just in a, maybe a response to the question, I'll just share a little bit of testimony. From my, from my own life. Uh, when, when I was in primary school, about year four, year five, uh, my family up and moved. We moved to, to America. My grandparents were in Canada, and they were missionaries in Canada. They started a church up there. And my family up, and we moved to sort of just to a state just below the border there in Canada. And uh, it was in Seattle. So we took a flight, landed in LAX, 12-hour bus ride, ended up in Seattle. Stayed with some family that we knew. We were there in America for five years. And um, at a great time, our family reaped 
such beautiful blessing in America. Uh, my parents, they matured spiritually just through the roof. That was where they gained so much maturity in the spirit um, and in, in just in faith in general. And after that five-year stint, um, there was a moment where my parents wanted to apply for a green card, just sort of like your yeah, permanent residency here in Australia. It was a green card. And they went in and they got rejected at the immigration office. And in getting rejected, they now had submitted to the government their details, our address, where my dad was working, the way that they were getting about living in America. But from the moment we submitted the papers, two days later, three days later, we were then going to be in America illegally. And it was, it was, I can't remember the day, but on one of the days my dad was at work, he was working for FedEx, a delivery company, and he went to work, he delivered one of the packages, and on his way back to the truck, he had about four, three or four immigration officers waiting around the truck. I talked to him this morning, he's okay with me sharing this. And they whisked him away in a van. Truck stayed behind. And at that time I was about, that's 2005, so I'm about 13, 14. And during that season, my dad was waking me up. My dad's my hero. He's the one that I, I turn to for a lot of advice. And I'd ask many, many questions of wisdom, I'd ask him. And during that time, he, was, he would wake me up at late hours, like 11, 12 o'clock, like at midnight, 12, 30, 1 o'clock in the morning. He'd wake me up. I mean, I think he was just lonely. He didn't have anyone to talk to. <laughs> Mom was in bed. <laughs> anyway, he'd wake me up. He'd tell me to come out to the kitchen, and he'd make me a cuppa, and we'd sit down, and he'd just tell me stories. He'd just tell me stories of the life back in Fiji. He'd tell me stories about all these uncles and aunties that I still don't know who they are. I've never, I still never met. I haven't met half of them, but he would just tell me stories. And we'd sit there for two, three hours, and I'd go to bed at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, and then I'd go to school the next day. And then he would do it again. And, it just, and that's just how I knew my dad during that season. And in the middle of that season, in the middle of that season, dad gets taken away. And for three months, like uh, if you go to Villawood, where it's a detention center in Sydney, if you go to Villawood, you can actually, you're still allowed to walk in as a visitor. The people in the, in the detention center, they live in homes with their families, in houses. You can walk in and have dinner with them. And you can still conversate with them and say hello and go in and do whatever you need to with them and still get to fellowship with them. But in America, where my dad was taken, it was just a prison. It was a prison. And to go and visit him and go and say hello meant that we had to actually talk through a glass screen on a phone, which was... Crazy. It was crazy. And he stayed in there for three months. My mom was distraught, as you'd imagine. And then it was on my brother and I to uh, pack up a container full of our stuff to come back to Australia, uh, probably five months after the event. And then I look at that and I say, Lord, if you're sovereign, why that? 
Why that? You know, the beautiful thing about hindsight is that you get to appreciate all the things that you otherwise wouldn't see. I have a beautiful wife, two beautiful children, part of a beautiful church, and I get to talk to you today about God's sovereignty. So why that? So that God can receive the glory. Uh, so that God will receive the praise from the events that happened in my life. So that even if I'm hurt by another person, I can still trust people because of God's work of hope in my life. There's a purpose to your pain. God has a purpose for it. There are no accidents. And nothing that's happened in your life is ever wasted in the purposes of God. The trauma that you've had to deal with, God will receive His glory from you. The relationships that broke because of pride or whatever it might be, God will receive his glory from it. If he's sovereign, he knows exactly what he is doing and he's not surprised by whatever you are going through. Amen? Amen. I was talking about this scripture during the week. About God receiving his glory from every single person. It reads in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 to 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This isn't just a verse about believers. This isn't a verse only for the saved. This is not a verse specifically targeting just the church. The word says that at that time, every knee, whether willing or not, will bow. Every single tongue is going to confess Every single person that God has created, He will receive His glory from. That is not up to us. That will happen. Whether or not we're wanting to partner with His purposes, that's the question. He will receive His glory, you can guarantee. That's not up for debate. He's a sovereign God. He's a sovereign God, church. In light of that, knowing that the game is rigged, knowing that our God is sovereign, how do I live today knowing that He is sovereign? 
How should I live? What should that do for me? What should it give me? Knowing that God is sovereign. I've just got two points that you can take away. The first thing that it should give you. Confidence. Knowing that this game is rigged should give you absolute confidence. Not in who you, not in you, but in who God is in you. It should give you absolute confidence about everything that you walk through in this life. That God will use it for His good. An absolute confidence in Him. You see, the story of David and Goliath just comes to mind in this. As David goes and he stands before the armies and he stands and he sees this giant. And he sees the, the armies of the living God. They're petrified. They don't know what to do. They don't know who to send out. They don't know who's going to go out there and fight this man. And then he decides, yes, let it be me. I'll go. And then they go and they try to dress him in all of this material that he's not used to wearing. And he says, no, that's not, I, I can't do that. I'm not going to be able to be effective wearing all of that stuff that isn't mine. I, I'm, just, I'm just not used to that. Let me go at him the way that I know how to go at him. And he says, and he goes, he collects the smooth stones from the, from, the, from the creek, heads out to the battlefield, meets this giant, and the giant just starts laying into him. You send this dog to fight me. He starts talking all kinds of mess about him. Starts talking about his mom and everything. He, he goes for him. And David's response is so defiant. It's pretty long, too. I only, I only kept a, a portion of it. But it's a, go, go, go over to 1 Kings 17 today. Have a read once again. And see if his, his defiance. But in chapter 17, verse 47, he says, And that this entire assembly, this is the end of his speech, this is the end of Daniel's speech, of David's speech, sorry. He says, And, at, and that this entire assembly may know that the Lord does not save with the sword or with the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will hand you over to us. You see, Daniel's confidence isn't in who he is. He's, he's, not, he's not worried about the plans that the enemy has. He just points to his God. He says, God's got me. I'll be, I'll be right. He's confident. He's confident in who he is. Because, not because of himself. He's confident because he knows God. Absolutely confident. And that's how we ought to walk through our lives. Not shaken by everything that happens. I'm not, excuse, I'm, not, I'm not trying to diminish whatever it is that you might have gone through or what things that you might be going through, but you know God. You know the creator of the universe. He's on your side. should give you absolute confidence. Talking about confidence as well, as I thought about the Israelites as they walked out of Egypt. They were just in slavery to the Egyptians for hundreds of years. They walk out of Egypt. They don't just walk out. They plunder them. They take their gold. Can you imagine that? Walking past the people who had held you for slaves for such a long time, for generations. Look at it. And as you walk past, you just, I'll take that gold chain, bro. Confidence. 
absolute confidence as they walk out of the as they walk out of Egypt. So knowing the sovereignty of God, how does that how should I be walking today? I should be confident in the things of God. I should be confident in the work that Christ has done on the cross. I must be confident. The second thing that I just want to leave you with today is that living a life understanding and knowing the sovereignty of God, I should be living a life of obedience. Absolute obedience. A radical obedience. Guys, the scriptures aren't nice sayings for you to feel good on a day that you might feel a little bit down. The scriptures are not a book of suggestions about the way that you ought to live your life. The scriptures are so much more than that. They're the instructions of how you are supposed to live now. Not at a time to come, not how they used to live before. They are supposed to be the guidelines for the way that we live today. Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. That's not a suggestion, church. He's not suggesting that to you. He's not saying, if you do this, it'll be nice. You'll feel better. He's saying, do this. It's good for you. I know because I made it. Absolute obedience to His Word. And absolute obedience to His calling on our lives. And he's not doing this out of, a pay, out of a place that he does not have experience. You see, the greatest example that we should ever, ever look to in the Scriptures, I love all of the apostles, and I love all of those brothers in Christ. But Jesus is our example. He is our absolute number one example. Confident in who he is, because of the Father. Always in conversation with His Father. Always empowered by Holy Spirit to do the work that the Father had called Him to do. Absolutely confident. And then absolutely obedient. Our last scripture for today is just before the previous scripture that we read in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 8. It reads, and being found in human form, he humbled himself to becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Church, this, the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross, that was obedience like you've never seen before. Obedience to the Father that would go beyond anything that we would see in the future even. To lay down his life for a generation like us. To die on our behalf with absolute confidence of the eternity that he was walking into. And obedience to the Father's will and purpose for him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are sovereign. Thank you that you are 
always, always aware of what's happening. Lord, you're never caught by surprise. Lord, there's nothing that ever happens that, doesn't, that happens outside of your allowing, outside of your say-so. Lord, we know that you are in control. Father, help us to walk confidently through this week. And Father, we pray that we would be obedient to your word, to the purpose and the calling that you have on each of us. Father, we thank you. We declare our love for you here today. Lord, you be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.